Amen. And what a mighty God we serve. You know, I, I just think it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. It's a great day to spend some time with God's people. It's a great day to be worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, uh, I stand here today and I just want you to know that every one of these uh, volunteers that, that plays on our worship team, they love the Lord Jesus with all their heart. And they're doing what they do because they love Jesus and they want to serve him. And uh, they, they lead us in worship each week. But, you know, um, I, I just I'm so blessed uh, to be around this type of people that love Jesus. And uh, they're they're an example and an inspiration to me. We're going to be in first Thessalonians chapter four this morning. And um, let me ask you first, are you all ready for some truth? We've got to have truth, don't we? We've got to have some truth. And, and uh, I, want, I want to encourage you this morning. I want this to be an encouragement uh, to you. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, and I'm going to read 13 through 18 in just a moment, chapter 4. But you know, if you've lived any length of time on this earth, um, you've probably had to bury someone that you love. Someone close to you has passed away and, and um, you know, you, you felt the sting of regret. You've, you know, you felt the sorrow of unfinished business. You've felt the paralyzing confusion that goes with it. And I want to say the emptiness of loss because that separation is very real and you've probably also found your mind flooded with questions um, about life beyond the grave, what happens next. Um, but I want you to know this, that hope, hope comes from knowing the truth. Hope comes from knowing the truth. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we read the words of the Apostle Paul as he addresses some of those concerns, some of the concerns that he has to the church at Thessalonica. That's why this is called First Thessalonians. Um, since this was one of the very first letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches, probably around 52, 53 uh, in the common era, what we have is he's, it follows that, that you have this first generation of Christians who are beginning to die, okay? They, they saw the Lord Jesus, they, they, they followed him, and now they're, some of them are beginning to pass away, and, 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 and these followers believed that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And, and, and as so, they, they, um, they had questions. Did, did death mean that those who, who died would miss the second coming of Christ? That, that they would just miss out on that? Uh, did, would it mean that these people would miss all the glory that goes with that of when Jesus returns? And so this text, it answers some of those questions. And, um, you know, this, uh, this passage is one of the most popular um, second coming passages in the Bible. And it, and it gives us a great, 
a great picture of that day. And, and you know, it's, it, I, I want to say this, though, that the text really isn't trying to teach us about the second coming as much as it is trying to teach us and help us to understand that the reason for our hope, what that reason is, and also to encourage us in that hope in the face of us aging and dying. We think about that. So let's read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to begin in verse 13, and then we're going to read down through verse 18. And God's word says this. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. In Jesus. For this we say to you by word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we, excuse me, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word and I pray, Father, that, that even now, that, that, that as we give attention to your word, Father, that you would open our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, these are your words. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us in all truth, that you would convict us, and that you would lead us to where you want us to be. Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us every single day. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And Holy Spirit, thank you for indwelling us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, Paul contrasts two, two kinds of people here. Those who grieve <laughs> and those who grieve without hope. There's, there's those who have hope and those who don't. But notice both of them grieve. They both are grieving, and, and there's nothing wrong with being sad about someone dying about someone passing away it is a normal it is a natural it is a perfectly appropriate response to loss is to grieve and there's never a reason to be embarrassed by tears or wishing to have someone back who has who has died and you know paul refers to believers who who die as those who sleep he says some of those have, have gone and, and they're, they've fallen asleep. And, and um, because of this, some people have developed a doctrine called soul sleep. 
And uh, they believe that when we die, we go into a state of something like um, suspended animation where we're just there, but we're not there kind of thing. And, and we wait there in, in, in an unconscious state until the return of Christ. And at that time, we awaken and we're raised from the dead. But I don't believe at all that that's what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to tell you why. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul talked about being absent from the body and at home with the Lord. He sees a distinction between the body that is buried in the ground and the soul that inhabited that body. In Philippians 1, Paul was faced with his possible execution and, he, and the struggle of whether it would be better to die and to be with Jesus or to remain alive and labor here on, uh, for the Lord on the earth. And he said, clearly, the better of the two is to go and be with the Lord. Also in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 6, we read about the souls of the martyrs who cry out to the Lord during the time of tribulation. And it seems evident that, that when we die and our body is buried, but our soul, who we really are, lives on. Think of it this way. When you physically go to sleep, your body rests, but your mind continues to run. Continues to be very active. You know, you, you think about it. You dream. I dream. Sometimes dreams can be so weird. You know, you hear things, you, you know, even, even in your dream, you, you might hear your alarm clock, you, you might hear your wife talking, you might hear your boss talking, but sometimes you hear things in your dreams and, and, and it's crazy because you continue to hash over the problems of the day and, 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 and even as you sleep, but I, I think about this death is like that the body is laid to rest, but the soul remains very much alive. You know, when the thief on the cross that was crucified next to Jesus, when he was dying, Jesus didn't say, someday you will be with me in paradise. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. See, those who die in Christ go to be with him immediately. And I love that because Jesus personally turns our sorrow into hope. What a great promise. He turns our sorrow into hope. Only believers participate in this hope. Only believers are comforted by this hope. See, there will be some who will say, well, this is, this is kind of wishful thinking. But the Apostle Paul says that our confidence in these things comes from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our hope comes from that. And because Christ died, my sin, your sin, is paid for. We are forgiven. Because Christ was raised, we know that there is life beyond the grave. He did it. He accomplished it. So we know that it's possible. He did that for us. Jesus said this. He said, he who believes in me 
will live even though he dies. <laughs> See, our confidence in heaven is based on the strong and reliable testimony of Jesus Christ. But listen, the Bible does not teach that everyone goes to heaven. The Bible does not teach that. Verse 14 says this. It says, for if we believe, don't run past those three words. It says, if we believe, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. My point is this, that these promises are only for believers. These promises are only for believers. They are only for Christians. I know that what I said is just, it's not politically, it's politically incorrect, excuse me. But I'm gonna tell you this, it doesn't matter. Because it's what Jesus taught. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. And while other religions of the world don't like that, understand that's what Jesus said. If you follow Jesus, that's what he said. And folks, Jesus loves us personally. Jesus personally turns death into victory. You know, we've all felt that sting. We've all lost someone that we, that we loved, a close one. Uh, somebody that's very close and dear to us. But, you know, God's pattern is always death before life. I mean, in John 12, verse 24, this is what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So, we follow the same pattern. We have to die in order to be saved. We have to die to self in order to serve. Because given to our own devices, we would never serve the Lord Jesus. We would never follow him. We would never acknowledge God as the creator of the universe. But the point is, is because of what Jesus Christ did in my life and in yours, and we die to self, we're raised to walk in a new life, then this new life is facing toward God and is wanting to please God rather than go my own way. See, we're selfish beings at heart. In the very deep down part of us, we don't have to teach that. You don't have to teach your toddler to be selfish. That's my toy, and they take it. You know it, and I know it. We have to be taught not to be selfish, to be willing to give, to be willing to serve. And in order to do that, in order to accept Jesus as our Savior, we have to die. In order to serve him, we have to die. That's his pattern. And the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return to the earth. It's not a secondary doctrine. It's a central theme of God's word that Jesus is coming back. 
Now, from this passage, I just want to break this down. We can learn at least four truths from this passage, from this text. And the first one is this, is that those who are living at the time of the return of Christ will not precede those who have died. See, the great day, the great day of his coming is, is going to involve all believers, those who have already died and those who are currently living. See, the dead are not forgotten, but they're personally with the Lord. And no believer will be excluded from this. The second truth is this, is that the Lord will come down from heaven unmistakably. There will be a loud command with the voice of the, the, the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And, and I want you to just picture in your head, if you would, for just a moment. You picture a, uh, that of a, a bugler in the military summoning the troops. They're, they're using the bugle to summon the troops. Or maybe a better picture for you might be your mom calling and saying, dinner's ready. And in either case, people come running. Okay, because it's time. And, that, and that's really what his point is. The living will see him personally and in his return, and we will know that it is time. Now, depending on how you read this text, I mean, there could be three different things here. The, 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 the loud command, the voice of the archangel, the, the trumpet blast. Or it could be one thing, a loud command from the voice of the archangel that serves as the trumpet call of God. But either way, it really doesn't matter. It's important, but I don't believe it's of primary importance. The third thing I want to I point out here, the third truth, is that the dead and the living believers will be caught up together. We will be caught up together. And, and, and in, in the Latin, the word for caught up together is rapto. Rapto. In verse 17. It's from this phrase that we get the doctrine of the rapture. We are caught up together. And I want to say that all Bible-believing Christians believe that there will be a day when we will be caught up together with Christ. And, and, and as simple as I can explain it, some believe it's going to be this kind of a, secret's not the good word, but it's, it's, it's kind of a, a sudden, abrupt rapture when Christ comes for his church and, 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 and leaving non-believers kind of bewildered, wondering what's going on. And I remember when I was a kid, there was a song, I think it was written in 72 or somewhere in there, um, but it, was, it, it said, I wish we'd all been ready. It says, a man and a wife asleep in bed, she hears a noise, she turns her head, and he's gone. He was a believer, she wasn't. The song continues, it says, two men are walking up a hill, one disappears, and the other one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. So those, the non-believers who are left behind, they'll face a time of intense persecution called the tribulation, a, a period that is clearly pointed to in Matthew and in Revelation. And this will either happen before the tribulation starts, which we call pre-tribulation, or midway through the tribulation, which is mid-tribulation, depending on your, your viewpoint. And a second group would point out that the events that are described of the gathering of the saints, 
uh, may give the impression that this event is anything but a secret rapture. Okay, that the trumpets, there's shouts, and after this, the people believe the rapture will take place after the tribulation, which calls it a post-tribulation. And I'm not even getting into the thousand-year reign and all of that, but um, it will be concurrent with the second coming of Christ. And they believe that the, the saints will be caught up as part of a massive welcoming party uh, for the coming king. And while I realize that I'm oversimplifying this and painting with a very broad brush here, folks have all kinds of varying views and more subtle nuances as well in that. And what I've found, though, is this, is that people can get pretty dogmatic about which view of the rapture they hold. And personally, I believe that it's foolish to act that way. The most important thing to keep in mind is that when we die as believers, we are caught up with Christ and we live beyond the grave. I mean, that's what he's saying. It's not meant for all of this debate. It's meant to encourage us and to comfort us so that we can know that we will be caught up together and we will live beyond the grave. See, I encourage you to examine uh, the evidence and draw your own conclusions. And I will say that on this issue, I'm less concerned about being dogmatic and more concerned about being open to the truth. Amen. So back to our text. Okay. The fourth truth that I want to I want to lay on you today from God's word is the most important of these words right here in this text. Verse 17 says, so we shall always be with the Lord. <laughs> we shall always be with the Lord. Folks, this is the great prize. This is the ultimate. This is what we long for. This is what we desire because we will not only be with Christ, we will be with our loved ones who are died in Christ. We will be with them again. We will be able to see our, our relatives, our friends, our, our family. I mean, so we will always be with the Lord. I mean, what a day that's going to be <laughs> when my Jesus, I see. Oh, man. Talk about a reunion day. Talk about a day when, when you're just filled with so much joy. You know, when, when you just can't even contain it anymore. Because we will no longer feel alone. We will no longer feel like our, our prayers bounce off of the ceiling. We'll never be afraid. We'll never feel lost. We will be with the Lord. I mean, folks, all believers are going to be at that party. Because it's the marriage supper. We might have some good food here. We might have some good food here today. But what I'm saying is, that's going to be something. That's going to be awesome. You know, these things should encourage us and think about it this way. You know, when we're headed someplace, on vacation maybe, or you've never been, and, and, and you find yourself kind of preoccupied with road signs and, and exit numbers and landmarks, um, <laughs> you know, I, I constantly... Uh, take what my sweet wife Tracy patiently and lovingly says I take these delightful long cuts you know 
It's not, I, I know a shortcut or anything like that. She calls them delightful long cuts. And, and you know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of famous for that. But, um, you know, we, we found ourselves in, um, uh, on vacation, we, we went to St. Thomas and I didn't know they drove on the left-hand side of the road there. Okay. So we get off the plane, we rent this car and it's like right out of the chute. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. I've never been here before. I don't know where I'm at. I'm looking at these exit signs. I'm looking at the road numbers. I'm, I'm just trying to take, I mean, I'm processing like hyper processing. Okay. I'm also looking at my GPS going, Oh man, trying to stay on the left-hand side of the road. Very confusing. Well, when we got there, it's like, I, I didn't get a chance to look at any of the scenery. You know, I'm, I'm focused on getting us where we're supposed to go. And, and my point is this is, you know, if you, on the other hand, you've been traveling someplace and you know, the way you start to take in the sights as you're passing by and you look around and you see all of the beauty and all the other things. And you can enjoy that. The changes in the terrain, you see the people, you, you know, and Paul wants us to understand that if we know where we are going, when we die, then we should find courage for life here and now. We don't need to be consumed with that. What we need to be consumed with is what's going on here. What's going on now? Because we know where we're going. Okay. And, and, and I, I love that because if we understand that death is not the end of the story, but it's maybe a turn in the road to our ultimate destination, then death loses its bite. It loses its sting. See, if we truly understand that one day Christ will return, we could spend less time trying not to die and more time actually living. See, I, I believe that's Paul's purpose in this because, man, we're all about self-preservation. But if we know, you know what? If I live today, it's, it's gain for Christ. If I die today, <laughs> It's gain for me. And I love that because, you know, it really puts things into perspective. And the critical question, though, is this. Are you one who is in Jesus Christ or are you living apart from him? Because that's what this passage says. I don't want you to be uninformed. For if we believe that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus you know, maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure. Let me try to help you. Have you ever recognized, have you ever admitted that you are a sinful person? See, we don't like that. We don't like people knowing that, that we've sinned. We don't like people knowing that we have sinned in some way. And we try to cover it up and we try to say that, that we don't have any sin or whatever. But the reality is, is everybody, everybody Sins. The only perfect person that ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. The rest of us were tainted by sin. And you know, th this, is, this is so important because, I mean, do you see that if you have ever told a lie, you're a liar. If you've ever taken anything that wasn't yours, then you're a thief. If you've ever looked at and thought about people in a lustful way, that makes you an adulterer at heart. 
Have you made other things more important than God in your life? If so, then you are a a, idolater. You see, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to erase your sin. See, doing what is right doesn't erase the wrong that you've done. Any more than doing your homework in school makes up for missed assignments. It doesn't happen that way. But listen, when we do what is good, we are merely doing what is required. We're just doing the bare minimum. Apart from Christ, there is no way to undo the bad. And you say, well, what about those who don't turn to Christ? We've talked about the believers. We've talked about those who are in Christ. What about those who don't turn to Christ? Here's what Paul says. If I flip my Bible over one page to 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter one, verse six and following, it says this, it says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and do not relief, excuse me, and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution, repayment to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty, penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the one who has eternal destruction apart from God, apart from his presence, apart from his power. So with this in mind, do you see that the sacrifice of Jesus is your only hope? Your only hope to be right with God. See, Jesus was God. He came from heaven He put on the flesh of humanity, that he was the God man. He came from heaven to live a life, to identify with us, to save us so that when we put our faith and trust in him, he can take us back to heaven with him. He's the perfect payment for our sin. So the question is, are we willing, are you willing To put your faith and your trust, your confidence, not in your goodness, but in his gift of eternal life. Are you willing to trust him for the future and to follow him in the present? Are you in Christ? See, if you trust him, then you are his follower and you can have absolute confidence that you will live even after you die. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He belongs to me. There's one more thing, I'm almost done. There's one more thing, after you've settled this issue in your heart, you need to let others know. 
Tell your family, tell your friends. Let them know that you're not afraid of death because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. See, my, my uh, father-in-law's brother-in-law, twice removed, no. Um, my, they always say that, I'm not really sure what that means, but my, my father-in-law's brother-in-law, he had cancer and he was dying. And he was really a, a great man. He was a mentor of mine. He, I, I looked up to him. He was, he was a, a, an outdoorsman who could fix anything. And, and man, he was just so on top of it, you know. And, and uh, he was really a man's man. And, and uh, Uncle Don evidently believed that his faith was very personal. And he didn't talk about it much. And the family knew that he was dying, but they weren't sure of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And we were talking about it, and I told him, I said, well, if you get me in a room alone with him, I will ask him. You know, at a family reunion, that's the last thing that you want to put in front of everybody, okay? I mean, and I didn't want to embarrass him in some way. And so I just said, if you get me alone with him, I'll ask him. And so uh, in talking with him, I explained God's plan of salvation to him, how God uh, sent Jesus to earth and Jesus lived a sinless life. He died and he rose again. And, and if we put our faith and trust in him, he will save us. He will forgive us of our sins and we will be with God for all eternity. Amen. And I asked him, I said, is that anything that you've ever done? And he told me straight out, he said, that he had trusted and accepted Christ as his savior into his heart many years ago. And I said, so you know without a shadow of any doubt that if you died right now, that you would go to be with the Lord. And he said, yes, absolutely, I will. So I asked him another question. I said, don't you think that your family would like to know that. Don't you think that it would be a great comfort to your wife and to your children and to your family that they know where you're going? He said, you know, I never really thought about it. But I guess it would. And you know what? From that day on, he was very vocal about his relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember him sitting there on his bed when he could no longer move. He had the word open and he was ready to explain to anyone where his faith, where his hope came from. Folks, we gotta tell other people. I wanna, I wanna go ahead and invite our worship team to come back up at this point. But I wanna encourage you to do this. If you know Jesus as your personal savior, I want you to tell other people about it. Tell your family, tell your friends. They need to know that you know Jesus. See, do this so that when you die, when you die, your friends and your family will not need to grieve like others who have no hope. That song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I think that's huge.
You know, oftentimes at the time of a a loved one's death, unbelievers will say things like, well, he's in a better place or um, we'll see him again in heaven, not knowing what they're saying. And what I want to say is outside of Christ, such hope in the face of death is only wishful thinking. If they don't know Jesus, they're not going to be in heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. See, apart from Christ, there is no claim. There is no foundation for the hope. But if Jesus died for our sins and he was raised from the dead and is coming again to raise saints and transform living saints, then we have confident hope and comfort in him even during our grief. In a little bit, we're going to stand and sing together. And the third verse of this song says this. It says, no fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future's sure. The price is paid. It has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. See, we are to comfort, to strengthen one another with these truths about how much Jesus loves us and how much he cares for us. And so I tell you this morning, be comforted and be comforting to one another because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you and for me. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. The Apostle Paul said to comfort one another with these words.